listening to Rumination Thursday, February the 13th in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and normally with us is Wes Reimnitz, but I talked with him and he has a cold and is coughing so much that he can not speak very well. So I'm all by myself today uh, doing a Rumination Thursday. You may recall last week we were talking about Martin Luther's writing of Bondage of the Will. And we said, well, we need to continue this because there is so much from it that is so helpful. Let me give you a little background here. There was a Roman Catholic theologian by the name of Erasmus. He was quite eloquent and he was a scholar when it came to the original languages of the Bible. In fact, Luther used much of what he had done in translating the Bible into German. So he looked up to Erasmus, but Erasmus had a view that is really commonsensical Christianity, which, which means it's wrong. He used his reason and came up with the conclusion that in answer to the question, why are some saved and others are not? The answer is, is because God has given us a free will to make a choice. And if we choose to believe in God, then we are saved. If we choose not to believe in him, we are damned. Luther made some excellent points here in talking about how unbiblical that point of view is. How so? Well, Erasmus did admit in his uh, book that he was writing that there are two parts in your conversion. The one is your will, and the other is the mercy of God. When Luther read that, he simply asked this question, what is the percentage of each? How much? of your free will, according to Erasmus, is necessary to be saved, how much is the mercy of God? And what Luther did, he showed from the Bible, time and time again, that it's all the mercy of God. No part of your free will gets you saved. And the reason for that is pretty simple. Because if you're not saved, you're an unbeliever. Why would an unbeliever want to believe in Jesus Christ? In other words, he's an unbeliever and therefore would never choose to believe in Jesus Christ. If he ever wanted to believe in Jesus Christ or began to believe in Jesus Christ, then he's already saved because we're saved through faith. So, in Bondage of the Will, and we're just going to jump around. This is page 149. He's speaking to Erasmus, Luther. Throughout your treatment, you forget that you said that free will can do nothing without grace. And you prove that free will can do all things without grace. In other words, he's contradicting himself. Your inferences and analogies. For if man has lost his freedom and is forced to serve sin and cannot will good, 
what conclusion can more justly be drawn concerning him that he sins and wills evil necessarily? That, that's Luther's point. From the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, man lost our freedom. And we therefore serve sin. And we cannot will what is good. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I, I know people who aren't Christian, maybe Muslims, uh, Jews, uh, maybe agnostics, and they do good in the world. Are they not willing good? Well, we make a distinction. Theology is the art of making distinctions. And this one is between the temporal realm and the spiritual realm. The temporal realm dealing with government, going to the grocery store, deciding what food to buy, all kinds of things you do in the temporal realm. You do have a free choice in those areas. The Bible's very clear on that. But when we come to the spiritual realm, spiritual things like salvation, believing in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have no ability anywhere. That, that's really important to understand. Now, one of the things that Erasmus does is he says time and time again, if, if, if you do these things, then you will be saved. And he jumps to the conclusion that because God says an if, that means from God's point of view, you do have the power to do it, but you have to make a choice. And here's what uh, Luther says about that. Even grammarians and schoolboys on street corners know that nothing more is signified by verbs in the imperative mood than what ought to be done. And that what is done or can be done should be expressed by words in the indicative mood. How is it that you theologians are twice as stupid as schoolboys in that as soon as you get hold of a single imperative verb, you infer an indicative meaning as though the moment a thing is commandment, it is done or can be done. Okay, now what are we talking about here? This, this is really a great point in grammar. The imperative is you're told to do something. And Erasmus assumes that if you're told to do something, then the person telling you that assumes you're able to do it. So, I can give you a thousand examples of that. I, I'm at home, and uh, my dad would like a, uh, maybe a drink of water, and he says, Tom, go and get me a drink of water. See, he's using the imperative, he's giving a command, and he assumes I'm going to be able to do it. But Luther makes a point that just because you hear an imperative, a command, doesn't mean that you're able to do it. This is absolutely critical from a law and gospel point of view. And I've given this example before. My five-year-old son, let's say he comes to me and says, Dad, I would like to have a new bicycle. My old one needs repair, and I like the new ones. And I say, 
no problem. Just go get a job at General Motors, and within one week, you'll have enough money to buy a new bicycle. See, that's an imperative. But there is no way a five-year-old boy is going to be hired by General Motors on the assembly line. First of all, it's way too dangerous. And second of all, there are laws against hiring five-year-olds uh, to do work that men or women need to do. This is such a simple point that because you hear an imperative doesn't mean that you can put it into the indicative, which means I'm able to do it. Now, that is critical when you begin to understand the commandments when there are in an imperative mood. Uh, for example, honor your father and mother. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not murder. Now, see... In Judaism at the time of Jesus, they believed they were able to obey those laws because they were not disobeying them outwardly until Jesus did his, did his Sermon on the Mount. You, you've heard it said of old, thou shalt not murder. And the self-righteous Pharisees say, well, we haven't murdered anybody. Well, I tell you, have you ever had a bad thought about someone? Have you ever said a bad word about someone? you get the same punishment as if you had murdered them. Because the fifth commandment, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill, really expresses how we are to love our neighbor. And anytime you don't love your neighbor, not just by deed, but by thought or by word, you're breaking the commandment. So the commandments are a beautiful example of imperatives that also are very clear that nobody's able to do them perfectly. No unbeliever can come anywhere near doing a commandment perfectly. Well, wait a minute. There are some very nice unbelievers I know. They don't swear. They don't speak ill of anyone. They seem to have a great personality. But you see, God doesn't judge a sin on the basis of what is done said or thought, he's looking at the motivation. That That's really important. And the Bible makes it very clear that apart from the Holy Spirit motivating you to do something out of love for Jesus Christ, then the only other motivation is self-interest. And self-interest is not a spiritual good work. So, therefore, Luther's kind of making fun of Erasmus. You're such a scholar, but even schoolboys on street corners know that when they hear a command, that doesn't mean that they're going to be able to fulfill it. And, and that's a, just a simple point to remember from a law and gospel point of view. From the law's point of view, there are plenty of commands but no unbeliever can fulfill them properly. That is with right motivation because they're an unbeliever. Boy. He, he goes on on another page. Erasmus, the passages of Scripture you cite are imperative 
but they prove and establish nothing about the ability of man, but only lay down what is and what not to be done. Well, he gives a couple of examples. The Bible says we're to turn from our evil works and follow Jesus. He says, does it follow from turn ye that therefore you can turn? Does it follow from love the Lord thy God with all thy heart? That's Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. That therefore you can love with all your heart? What do arguments of this kind prove but the free will does not need the grace of God, but can do all things by its own power. See, that's what he's saying Erasmus is saying. So when Erasmus hears, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, he assumes that an unbeliever has free will to do that. And therefore, he's concluding, Luther does, that free will, according to Erasmus, does not need the grace of God but can do all things by its own power. Luther continues, But it does not follow from this that man is converted by his own power, nor do the words say so. They simply say, If thou wilt turn, that is telling man what he should do. When he knows it, he quickly learns that he cannot do it. He will not find within himself the ability to do it. And what's Luther's point? We, we said this, oh my, a million times on law and gospel. What is the purpose of the law? He quotes Romans 3, verse 20. By the law is not the knowledge of what to do in order to get to heaven. By the law is the knowledge of how sinful you are. In other words, the more John the baptizer preached repentance, the more people became distressed by their sin. They were tempted to go to despair. So therefore, the word of grace, which is the gospel, really comes as good news to those who are in distress or despair over their sins. Now, a question Erasmus is asking, well, how come some people hear the law and they react properly and others don't? Luther responds, this part is really important. As to why some are touched by the law and others are not, so that some receive grace, and others scorn the offer of grace. Now, here's his reason. This is the hidden will of God, who, according to his own counsel, ordains such persons as he wills to receive and partake of the mercy preached and offered. This is huge. The hidden will of God. I've been a pastor a long time, and I've got about 2,000 questions the Bible doesn't answer. I'm going to be looking forward to 
be talking to Jesus or the Apostle Paul or somebody in heaven in questioning, okay, here's a question I have, and I'm going to hear the answer. Because then I will have a mind that will be able to even understand the hidden will of God. Because God hides his will doesn't mean that he isn't in control or he doesn't have an answer. It's just that it's hidden from us. In fact, in the New Testament, it says that the difference between what was found in the Old Testament books and the New Testament is that also to the Gentiles is salvation provided. That was a big thing in the New Testament because religious Jews in Judaism would often look down upon Gentiles and, for example, those who were sick because they were being punished by God for some kind of sin or other. So Luther now speaks from God's point of view. God incarnate says, now what does that mean? That means God in the flesh. So he's referring to Jesus Christ. I would, but you would not. God incarnate, Luther says, was sent for this purpose, to will, say, do, suffer, and offer all to me, all that is necessary for salvation. Although he offends many who being abandoned or by God's secret will is are hardened, do not receive him willing, speaking, doing, and offering. And quotes John 1, 5. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness comprehends it not. Kind of reminds me of Moses going to Pharaoh. The more that Pharaoh brought curses and plagues upon Egypt, the more Pharaoh hardened his heart. Because he wanted those Israelites to stay in Egypt. They were slaves. They were workers. Brought them a lot of money. And, and Luther says, just because you're Jewish doesn't mean that you're saved. He says in... Uh, quoting verse uh, 11, Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. So Luther concludes, the law, that is, the preaching of the law indicates the impotence of man. What does that mean? means you don't have any power to save yourself. But it also reveals the saving power of God. If any man will come after me, he that wills to save his life, if you love me, if you shall continue. As I've said, Luther repeats, every occurrence of the conjunction if and the imperative words be collected, guess what? None of them indicate that you have the ability to do that. That's really what's important about law and gospel. Preaching of the law isn't done primarily to get you to do what God wants you to do so you can save yourself. 
No, that's legalism. Preaching of the law occurs to make you aware of how truly sinful you are and how much the gospel of Christianity helps us be saved. Luther kind of makes fun of Erasmus. This is on page 202. Let all the free free will in the world do all it can with all its strength. It will never give rise to a single instance of ability to avoid being hardened if God does not give the spirit or if meriting mercy if it is fallen and left to its own grace. There is no place for your own salvation that you can do because you don't have free will in spiritual matters as an unbeliever. On page 265, Luther writes, I say that man without the grace of God nonetheless remains the general omnipotence of God who affects and moves and impels all things in a necessary and infallible course. But the effect of man's being carried along is nothing. That is, avails nothing in God's sight, nor is reckoned to be anything but sin. So God has all power. That's why we call him almighty. There is no power outside of God. And what Luther is saying is in the temporal realm, We are unable to do anything except by the power of God. You couldn't even get out of bed. If you don't believe me, go to the hospital, to some of the areas where people are paralyzed. And then remember, you get out of bed every morning and you never hardly ever thank God for the ability to move your legs. There's nothing that occurs that isn't due to, to God's power. How can you believe that you can merit your salvation apart from God's power? He quotes John the baptizer and says, his words means that man can receive nothing unless given him from above. So that free will is really not existing. On page 268, Luther writes, I say that man, before he is renewed into the new creation of the Spirit's kingdom, does and endeavors nothing to prepare himself for that new creation and kingdom. And when he is recreated, He endeavors nothing towards his perseverance in that kingdom. But the Spirit alone works both blessings in us, regenerating us, and preserving us when regenerate without ourselves contributing anything. This is so true. It's kind of, think of yourself as an infant. What does an infant do to eat? No, it doesn't prepare its own meals. It doesn't go shopping. It doesn't lift a fork to its mouth unless it's older. No, everything is done by the parent. 
And to say that the child, therefore, has a free choice to decide what parent he's going to have, that's ridiculous. Very, very important. On page 270, all the passages in the Holy Scripture that mention assistance are they that do away with free will, and they are countless. For grace is needed, and the help of grace is given. Why? Because free will in and of itself can do nothing. Why? Because there is no free will for spiritual matters. There is for temporal matters. But even there, let's say you choose to run a distance for exercise. Guess what? You're not going to be able to do it. Except God gives you that strength. So how do people not understand that in the area of the temporal you can do nothing without God's almighty power. See, that's what the word almighty means. It doesn't mean that God can do anything, because he can't. For instance, God cannot send a Christian to hell, because he's made promises. He binds himself. So what the word almighty means is that he has all power. And if he has all power, then anything you do in the temporal realm is only by God's power. And therefore, in the spiritual realm, you have no power to save yourself. You're saved by the grace of God. Hope that Wes is back next week. Tomorrow's open mic Friday. If you have any questions, God bless. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.